Thank you so much, Brother Reno Likens, for the wonderful message. And I love always um, the thought uh, that he shared with you tonight. And it is oftentimes the difference between um, living the great life, living the good life. Because a lot of people are settled for a settled for life. But that business of crossing the point of no return, I think that's the key to get to that point. There's a little bit of a ring there. Maybe we ought to put it down just a little bit there. But I do need help every now and then. Uh, the the uh, second law of thermodynamics is showing up nowadays in my body. I'm 18 years old on the inside, but there's something terribly wrong with my outside. Amen. But anyway, thank you so much, uh, Brother Likens, for that message. Thank you so much, Pastor Frost, for having this conference, continuing this conference 38 years. 38 years. I remember being here way back in the good old days in another building. Uh, so uh, I remember especially on, on those nights, Ron Riley, Steve Robertson, and myself, just some of the greatest memories, and you, Brother Lankins. Uh, yet you have maintained something that the others did not maintain, and that is your youth. As I was seeing you strutting your stuff across here, I thought, man, I still wouldn't want to mess with him. You know, he, he reminds me of a gangster. He really does. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist that. All right, I have a lot of ground to cover, and I will be honest with you, I'm a little bit nervous because I've never preached this message at a Bible conference. I've never preached this message at our church. I'm not sure how it's going to come out, but the great thing is I get to leave tomorrow and it doesn't matter. So anyway, so anyway, I remember used to, we'd talk to some of our fellow evangelists before I was a pastor it, now it's hard to believe for 41 years I've been pastoring the same church, but I was an evangelist for 11 years, but I remember when I would get with my evangelist friends, we'd say, well, if we lay an egg or we make a mess, we can just unplug our trailer and just drive on down the road. Can't do that as a pastor, and that's not what I want to do here at this place, but I feel a heavy burden on my heart, a deep burden on my heart that I believe is from the Lord that is for um, this group tonight. I believe there's a custom-made message here for some of you here. And for those of you that are thinking, well, it doesn't quite apply to me, then download it because it would be a good, remember, a good thing to remember not to go to the place that we're talking about tonight or to get you to pray for those who have gone to that place that we're talking about tonight. So if you would, let's stand and stretch a little bit. We're going to turn to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. And I want you to turn with me to chapter 15, 2 Samuel 15. We're going to read a group of different verses, uh, a couple of verses in chapter 15, and then a couple of verses in chapter 18 of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 23. 2 Samuel 15, verse number 23. Absalom has stolen the hearts of the men of Israel, and in turn has stolen the throne of Israel. And David, when we begin our reading, is leaving his palace. And then we're going to go from chapter 15 to 18, we're going to go to the ending of our story, and then we'll try to fill it in. You know how sometimes you'll be reading a story or you'll be watching a film, and they'll show you a segment in the right now, and then they'll show you a segment in the future, then they bring you kind of back, and that's what I want to do to you tonight, do with you tonight. Notice, if you would please, verse 23, 2 Samuel 15. 
And all the country wept with a loud voice. And all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook of Kidron. And all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Verse 30. David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went up and had his head covered. And he went barefoot. And all the people that was with him covered every man his head and they went up, weeping as they went up. Chapter 18, verses 32 and 33. It's the end of our story. Then we'll go back to the beginning and we'll talk about it. 2 Samuel 18, verses 32 and 33. Rarely will you ever read sadder words in the word of God. And the king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord the king and all that rise up against thee to do thee hurt. Be as that young man is. And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept as he went. Thus he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom. My son, my son. Let's remain standing. We'll have a word of prayer and then please be seated. Heavenly Father, unless you get into this message and take this preacher and preach me, then really the young people will not have a message. But if you do, show us pleasure and favor by anointing this preacher for this message, lives could be changed. Souls could be saved. People could get anchored in your word and your will and your way. I pray thee, Father, that you'll help me be that conduit to communicate your precious word. So, therefore, Lord, we'll stay very close to your book, the only book that you ever wrote, and we'll ask you to allow your word to do what you have promised that it would do, not return unto you void. We promise to give you the praise and the glory for the results. We believe that what Brother Likens said was very important. What an unusual twist. To be as dedicated and sincere, and we should say as all in, as people of this world, like the mafia would be, for all of the wrong reasons. Oh God, Help us to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ and give you everything that we have. Now I pray that you will arrest the hearts and minds of the young people because especially I'm thinking on this first point, Lord, if they don't stay with me, we could lose them and I don't want to lose anybody in this message. We pray, Father, that you will crown this service now with souls being saved or lives being changed or people being rededicated unto thee. We will give you the glory. We promise, in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated, please. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, the heart of a rebel. 
the heart of a rebel. Absalom was one of the great sons of David. In the DNA of David and his progeny, there was this incredible running power, whether it was in David to a Solomon, or David to an Adonijah, or David to any of his children. There was this incredible inborn leadership skill. And then for Absalom, there was this incredible not only genius that he had, and this personality plus, he had this incredible, stunning good looks. He was very proud of even his hair. I really don't know if I can imagine what that was like, you know. But he would pull it once a year and it would weigh an insurmountable weight. But it was more than this. He wasn't a sissy pants because he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And it really takes a man's man to steal men's hearts. We heard Brother Likens talking about potential tonight. I think that Brother Likens, you would agree with me, Brother Frost, you would agree with me that probably of the sons of David, other than Solomon, there was no young man that had more potential than Absalom. Matter of fact, we're not even sure that even Solomon would have superseded his natural talent because Absalom never lived long enough for us to see what that potential would have been. As we go to the study of this man's life, we see that in many ways he had a sense of right and wrong. He had a high moral sense, but the problem was is that he got jaded with his high moral sense. The reason I say this is because the oldest brother of the family, David's oldest son, who was heir to be the next king of Israel, was Amnon. But there's a telling passage in the 13th chapter of 2 Samuel that says that Amnon had this incredible lust for his half-sister Tamar, and the Bible points out that he thought to do her no evil, but then it had, I think it's around verse number three, it says, but Amnon had a friend. And of course, the friend was his cousin Jonadab. And he explained to Amnon how he could have his way with Tamar and how he could trick her into being with him in an immoral way. So he followed the advice of Jonadab and he raped his precious sister. She steps outside the door because the strangest thing, the so-called love that he had for her was now turned to hate. I've often thought about this, Brother Frost to Brother Reno, how that many times the devil seduces you into getting what you just think is going to make you happy and in this case make the love flourish but lust should never, be should never be disguised as love. It often tries to counterfeit it, but it can't. So once he had what he thought would bring him happiness, 
it turned to hate because it never really was love. She's outside the chamber ripping her virgin robes, or robes that celebrated her virginity. Mind you, David was upset with Amnon, but really not upset enough to do anything about it. Absalom was willing to do something about it. So in very careful planning and orchestration, he had his brother killed. And then he was on the run. And he was gone for about three years. And finally, David let him come back, but only to his suburbs. Matter of fact, years ago, I preached a message on living in the suburbs of forgiveness. And that's where Absalom was. And then after two more years, so after five full years, Absalom had not seen his father's face. And he burned Joab's field and said uh, to Joab, when he finally got Joab's attention, Look, I'm going to see dad's face if he kill me. And I'm paraphrasing. I'll take that rather than live in the suburbs of my father's forgiveness. But there was already a root of bitterness that had set in on Absalom. And somewhere during that time of the orchestration of Amnon's death, should Amnon have been punished for what he did to Tamar? Absolutely. But Absalom did not have the authority. And that seemed to be always the tripping wire for Absalom, authority. So somewhere from the time that he was planning his brother's death and feeling this incredible rejection from his father or this halfway acceptance of his father, this root of bitterness had set in and the seeds of rebellion were there strong with him. So let's examine the rebel's heart, if you would, please. Let's turn back over here, if you would, to 2 Samuel 15. In verse number 1, And it came to pass after this, that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now to refresh you with the backstory, he's now made reconciliation with his father, and now David seems to be giving Absalom the full blessing. He's done what the seemingly um, prodigal father did to the younger son who was away in a far country. He's given him the ring. He's given him the shoes. He's given him the robe. He's back in the fellowship. And it appears to David that Absalom has had a repentant heart and he's soft. But remember, Absalom's a genius. He can disguise his true emotions. He had the ability of a Sir Lawrence Olivier, a Kenneth Branagh, a man that would have the acting skills of the greatest Shakespearean actors and the business acumen of a Donald Trump and the sheer genius of an Einstein. It was a lethal mixture for a rebel heart. So he's back in the fellowship. He's back into the home place. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. 
And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. How subtle. How deceiving. He did not come out and say, let's get rid of dad and let me be the king. He's simply saying, nobody cares for you like me. Too bad you don't have somebody like me. Oh, no, no, no. He's not going to focus on his dad and come right out and rebel against him. He's simply going to lift up himself in pride and egotism. Listen to the words again. Thy matters are good and right, and there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land. Oh, no, 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 I'm not saying I should be king. I, I should just be the judge, you know. Dad's got a lot on his plate. He's real busy. You probably haven't seen him in a long, long time. Yeah. I'd like to be the judge, and I'd love to help you out. That every man which hath any suitor cause might come to me, and I would do him justice. And it was so, that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom do all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. The rebel's heart is a rebellious heart. It rebels, number one, against authority. He or she does not accept authority. You know, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to remind you of something real quickly. And we're going to do kind of a little Bible study on this first point. And I would ask you to stay with me because I want to tell you something. I felt so impressed tonight to share these verses. And I was thinking, I'll just take a shortcut and I'll, I'll quote some of them and I'll keep moving. But I felt like the Lord wanted me and you together to take our Bibles. How many have a Bible in your lap? Raise your hand. Okay, no. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and go with me to these places, and I want you to look at these verses. For the Bible says, the entrance of thy word giveth light. And I really believe that when we talk about this subject of authority, that many times you don't realize how much God is for us, honoring the authority that he places over us, neither are you aware of the consequences when we reject the authority that God places over us. So first of all, look at Exodus chapter 20 for just a moment. Look at Exodus chapter 20. Now I'm going to ask you to move pretty fast because we have a lot of ground to cover here. It's the fifth commandment. Exodus 20, verse number 12. Notice what it says, young people. Okay, Honor thy father and thy mother. Now, if you haven't got it yet, just kind of mark it on your paper somewhere. Exodus 20, 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So God says, I've given you a number of days. So therefore, honor, obey your parents, so that you'll get the quota that I have assigned to you. That's what it says. Now listen to this very carefully. 
that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So God has a set number of days of life for us. Believe me, at my age, it's in my mind more than ever because the Bible gives us an average, and that is Psalm 90. The days of a man's life would be three score and ten. Score is 20. 20 times three is 60. Add 10, 70. <laughs> Last week, I turned 71. I'm one year over the average quota. It's been nice knowing you. <laughs> Time's nearly up. Uh, listen, listen, that's reassured and given again in Deuteronomy 5. Look over to Deuteronomy 5 and look at the way it's worded there. Every word of God is pure. And let's see what the pure word of God has to say about this same fifth commandment. Deuteronomy 5, verse number 16, please. Verse number 16, fifth commandment, here it is. Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Here it is again. That thy days may be prolonged. Okay, now Exodus is telling us that God's given us a quota. So honor your parents so that you can get to the quota. God says furthermore in Deuteronomy 5, in the nuance of this inspiration, he says that if you do, I can actually add some years to the quota. Prolong means make it longer. Duh. Prolonged. Okay. Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee that thy days may be prolonged. I've actually had kids with smart aleck attitudes say, I don't care. I'll live any way I want to. They don't care how long they live. If I live to be 25, fine. At least I'll have fun living it. No, you won't. Oh, I promise you, you won't. How do you know, brother? Because God's word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. And the Bible went on to say here that thy days may be prolonged that and conjunction and, oh, one more thing, and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. <laughs> that means if you don't honor your father and your mother, it's not going to go well with you. What's that mean? It's going to be bad with you. Is that too deep? A young man was arrested in Spain smoking a marijuana joint. 18 years old. 18 years old. In Spain... At this time, I don't know if the laws change, but I read the interview. In Spain, if you were caught with marijuana, it's five years in prison, no parole, no early releases. You've got to spend five years in prison. Wow. Do you realize what happens between the time you're 18, 19, 20 21, 22, 23. You realize what happens there? Life's greatest decisions. He has one joint. He's sitting in jail. A reporter, I believe, from some of our network programmings, like 2020 or 60 Minutes, went over to Spain and interviewed him. And the reporter said, young man, give us some insight. Help us. 
How did you get into this mess? You're going to spend five years in prison now for smoking one joint of marijuana. He said, well, my philosophy of life was live wild, live young, live free. Whatever's going to happen is not going to happen to me. Reporter said, looks like it did, didn't it? He said, yeah, it looks like it did. That thy days may be prolonged and that it may go well with thee. Look at, look at Ephesians 6. This is no isolated Old Testament teaching, my friend. This is no archaic piece of history. This is the truth of the word of God. Ephesians 6 Paul picks it up again and says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And here's the twofold promise, repeat it again, that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Some of you may be sitting here saying, Yeah, but, yeah, but Brother Pope, um, uh, what if my mom and dad asked me to do something that is sinful. In 52 years of preaching, 41 and a half years of pastoring the same church, I only know of two cases for sure where parents have asked their kids to do something sinful. So don't throw that jazz at me. I will say this, in the event there's somebody that, let's say a parent is trying to actually do, get you to do something that is sinfully wrong. Okay, son, I want you to take this 44 Magnum. I want you to go in there, point it at the teller's head, and ask for the money. So go ahead and do this, son. I, do you understand? Or, daughter, listen, I know you're going to be out in the date at night, so be sure to stay out as long as you want to and do anything you want to. Matter of fact, don't worry about keeping any moral rules. Do whatever you want to. So I would say, if someone in authority asks you to break the authority of God, sin against the Lord, then you take Acts 5, 28 and 29. Acts 5, 28 and 29. When the disciples were told they could not preach the gospel after Jesus already said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They were under the command of Jesus to preach the gospel. Somebody tells them, you can't preach. Peter answered simply, we must obey God rather than man. So we understand there would be an exception only if someone in authority asked you to commit a sin. But most of you are just being told to clean up your room, pick up your socks, mow the lawn, do the dishes. You can't sit with him tonight. No, you're not going to date her. You're, no, you're going to go to, go to this Christian college now for at least a year. I know that you might want to be whatever, but you're going to... And by the way, I, I got that same treatment by my father. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my dad was taking a position at a Christian college and said, I want you to go with me for one year. Yeah, but dad, no, you go with me. He said, okay, one semester, I honored my father. By the way, it was in that semester, 1969, at the college in Louisiana where I was going, that I gave everything to Jesus. Boy, I'm glad I listened to my dad. 
I thought, Dad, I am not Bible college material. But I honored him. I honored him. Brother Leno, Reno quoted a while ago from Colossians 3.20, to obey your parents, for this is right. It's the right thing to do. Quickly, another little quick Bible study. Ready? Here, let's go. Proverbs 1. Look at Proverbs 1. Go over to Proverbs 1. Let's go to Proverbs 1. I want you to see this. Now, these are verses that some of you are already familiar with, but I want you to see it again. I want you to look at it with your eyes. Proverbs 1. Look at verse number 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fear the Lord, beginning of knowledge. You don't even begin to think correctly without the fear of the Lord. Uh, look at Proverbs uh, 9 for just a moment. Proverbs 9. Look at, check this out for just a moment. Proverbs 9. All right? Proverbs 9. All right, look at verse number 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. Now, let me just say this to you, because it needs to be said. The fear of the Lord has been defined by many theologians like this. It's the awe of God and the reverence of God, the fear of the Lord. It is that, but ready, but it's also fear, scared, if you do wrong, if you mock him, stay with me, uh, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I'm afraid of heights, and we've been to Grand Canyon a couple of times, my wife is not afraid of heights. Maybe the most embarrassing moment I've ever been is when she got off to the edge of the cliff and said, come here, Johnny. No, no, I'm good. Johnny, come on. You're not afraid, are you? So I crawled out there on the, and there I was on the edge of the cliff, and she's just enjoying it, and I am quivering. I am melting. I'm scared. You know what I'm scared of? Falling in! But then there was a place where there was this fence about this high. And I could see the same view. And I said, come here, Barbara, come here, come here, come here. And I'm standing by the fence, and I'm so brave. <laughs> because I'm standing behind that fence. To live in the will of God, to live with forgiveness of sins, is having the confidence that you're not going over. There's a fence in front of me. I'm okay. And now I can be in awe of the purple color, the orange color, and the four different seasons that are in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> but when I'm over there on that rock, I'm in fear of what will happen if I fall in there. The Bible said it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. The fear of the Lord. Being in awe of who God is and what He's doing in our lives when we're right with Him, yes, but it's also being afraid of what the consequences are going to be if you don't fear him, if you don't obey him. This is important. 
Matter of fact, look at Leviticus 20 and verse number 9. And we're going to be through with the Bible drill in just a little bit. But I want you to see something. Leviticus 20. First of all, excuse me. Leviticus 19 and verse number 3 first. Leviticus 19 and verse number 3. And then we'll go to chapter 20. Leviticus 19.3, look at this. Ye shall fear every man, his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. You will honor me by giving me one day out of your week, every week. And then he says this. You will have the fear of your parents. He conjoins fear of parents with the fear of God. Not to fear your parents. It's to live foolishly. Is not to fear God. By the way, this is the word of God. Look at Leviticus 20. Verse number 9. For everyone that curseth his father or his mother, look at this, shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be Upon him. Hmm. Deuteronomy 21. If you think that's abstract, look at this. Deuteronomy 21. Verse number 18. Look at the word of God. This is the word of God. Leviticus 21 verse number 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto him, then shall his father and his mother laid hold on him and bring him out of the el- out unto the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put away evil from among you And all Israel shall hear and fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of your parents is walking in the fear of the Lord. The same God that wrote Deuteronomy 21 and Leviticus 20 is the same God that wrote John 3.16, friend. You live in disobedience. And by the way, notice what, you don't maybe notice this at first reading, but you can see the long-suffering of God here. For the young man is a glutton, and he's a drunkard. So that's not someone that's experimented, Brother Frost. That's someone who's living in unbridled lusts of the flesh, lusts of the eye, and the pride of life. How many understand what I'm saying? You've now acclimated, you're addicted People are addicted to sex, pornography, alcohol, tobacco, pride. They're gluttons. They're not social drinkers. They drink till they're drunk. They feel like they can't live without it. Can't go to sleep without it. Can't get up without it. His parents have said, stop it, stop it, stop it. He disobeys them. They bring him out to the elders of the city and he dies. For the basic reason that brought him into gluttony and drunkenness 
rebellion against authority. He did not obey his parents. It's very strong. God means business. Deuteronomy 27, since you're there, look at Deuteronomy 27 and verse number 16. Now let me tell you, there's a beautiful old word here in the old English, it's called light. Now those of you that were reared in southern culture like I am, you, you heard this a lot. Uh, people in the south talk southern. Like, well I reckon so, well that's Romans chapter 6, reckon, right? Also, now don't you make light of your daddy. Don't you make light of your mama. Now, your school teacher, you came home and you were mocking them. Don't you make light of them. It means to mock them. Make fun of them. Not take them seriously. Ah, my old man, my old lady. No, it's your mother and it's your dad. Talk respectfully. Think respectfully. It says in verse 16, Cursed be he that said of light by his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. God says, you make fun of your mom and dad, you mock them, and I curse you. I've had people curse me. They've told me where to go, and it's not heaven. I'm ready to tell them, no way, I'm not doing it. You may go there, but I'm not. It's already settled. I'm going to heaven. I ain't going. People may give a DMN, DAMN to me, but that is nothing. That's not even water on a duck's back. If someone curses me, that means nothing. There's no voodoo stuff that's going to mess with me. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in this world. You can't curse me. You can't curse what God has blessed. Oh, yes. I'm too blessed to be stressed, y'all. But anyway. You can't curse me. God can. And God can curse you. You don't want to be cursed by God. Well, when does that happen? Let me read that again. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother. And God says, what do you think about that, people? And everybody says, amen. And God says, you better amen it, because that's what I said. Let God be true. Look at Proverbs 30, verse 17. Proverbs 30, verse 17. We're almost through with our Bible drill. You've been very good about this. Proverbs 30, verse number 17. We see a metaphor here. Years ago, I was preaching at Liberty Baptist College, 1975, uh, with old Dr. Jerry Fall. I'll never forget that. Remember, there was a student there at Liberty that came up to me. He had a glass eye. He had been on drugs for years. He said, man, I couldn't stop lusting, so I did what the Lord said. If your eye offends you, I plucked it out. I'm about to go to the next one. I said, no! I said, that's metaphor. This is no joke. I remember one time my cousin uh, was dated by a stone blind guy. My, my cousin was, was uh, a precious little virtuous girl. And this guy was very nice to her. Blind, never saw a day in his life. And she said, uh, Johnny, I slapped him and never dated him again. He couldn't keep his hands to himself. 
So he doesn't have an eye to see, but you see the lust isn't in the eyeball. The lust is in the heart. So it's a metaphor that was being spoken of that God was saying when Jesus said, if your eye offend you or if your hand offend you. So he's saying, take it serious. Get serious about this. Here he gives one of these strange metaphors, but it has an incredible point. Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. Whoa. Huh? God says, for you that have a wanderlust, the man even looks to a woman lust after he's committed adultery already with his heart, or you have this desire for something beyond what we contend with such things as you have. But here it is talking specifically about the eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth, hates to obey his mother. God says, I will blind you. And for some of you, it'll be permanent because once the eyeball's out, the ravens eat it. It's over. You're not seen again. Well, what is the Lord saying there? If you turn a page to Proverbs 30, verse number 18, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. What does the law say? The fifth commandment of the law of God says, Honor thy father and thy mother. You despise the law. You have no vision. You despise your mother's obedience, obeying her and your father's word. Then God says, I will pluck your eyes out. Psalm 36, 9 says, in thy light shall we see light. In Mark 4, 23, 24, right in there, it says, unto you that hear shall more be given. Put those two together. Proverbs 36, 9, Mark 4, 23, 22, 4, I believe it is. Well, what is it saying? When you obey God, he gives you more light. When you obey God, he gives you more understanding. Put together the fear of God and the fear of parents. When you obey your mother and your father, when you do this, God will give you light. But if you mock your father and your mother, God says, I'm putting the lights out. You won't know what to do. Life's greatest decisions must be made before we're old enough and wise enough to make them. I really believed I, oh, I loved my wife when I met her and married her. This December will be 49 years ago. But the way I feel about her now, the way I felt about her 15 years after we're married, was so strong I thought, man, this is such a strong feeling for one person that it almost makes what was going on in my heart when I met her not even love. So... I married in the perfect will of God. How did I know to take that next step? How did I know that she was the one? Because I nestled myself in the will of God. Both of my parents gave me the approval to marry her. I honored them. By the way, Barbara Jo Wright was the only female I ever dated that both mom and dad felt good about. 
I honored them. I took a step and God gave me another step and God gave me another step. Almost 42 years ago when I made the decision to go to Houston, Texas, I knew in my heart I wanted to pastor, but why Houston? Matter of fact, of the possibilities, there were four opportunities. It was the least likely to succeed. But it was something that I just know in my heart. Now, the only church I've ever pastored, I'm looking back, 41 years ago, I made the right decision. I didn't lose vision. Where there's no vision, the people perish, but I had vision. But I look back at that. I did not rebel against the authority. I honored the authority that was in my life. Well, the main character in our story is Absalom. So he wanted something that was not his to have. I think we all have seen when we defy the authority that God places over us that there is a curse and that if it's not dealt with, it can end up in death. The Bible says in James 1.15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Mm. I'm going to turn back a few pages. To chapter 18 again. 2 Samuel 18, verse number 9. Oh, by the way, I, I want to share this with you. It should be shared. Before we go to 2 Samuel 18, look with me, if you would, to Ecclesiastes 7, and then we're going to go to 1 John 5. I want to thank you for your patience to turn with me because when my words will fail, when my antidotes will fail, when my application falls flat, the word of God will ring true in your hearts. Amen. And I want you to see something here because some of you never thought about what I'm about to show you, I think. Look at Ecclesiastes 7.17. Be not overmuch wicked, Ecclesiastes 7.17, neither be thou foolish. It is a foolish thing to make light of your mom and dad. It is a foolish thing to mock the authority in your life. And I'm going to move into the church. Some of you say, well, when I get out of here, I'm not going to go to this old Bible-believing church. I'm tired of all these standards. I'm tired of this authority in my life. I'm tired of people telling me what I should or should not do. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to dress the way I want to. I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smoke, I'm going to do drugs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink alcohol. Come on, I'll do whatever I want to. Mm. Neither be thou foolish. Look at Ecclesiastes 7, 17. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Whoa, did you see that? Will you die before your time? See, it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. You see, we all have that quota, that number of days, and an appointment, a day of our death. Now, let me say this, parenthetically. I'm intending on missing my appointment. For the Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive, hello, and remain, shall be called up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be of the Lord. Amen. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This 
Mortal must put in immortality. If the rapture takes place, we're going to miss that appointment of death. Amen. So you see, death is an appointment. But we read it already that there's a quota and there's even a prolonging of that quota when we honor our father and our mother and the authority over us. Look at 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. It's not preached much, but my friends, it's Bible. 1 John 5. Look at what it says in verse number 16. Look at this. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. If there is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. And to the best of my ability, if God has determined that a man is not going to die, then you can pray and God will heal him or God will strengthen him. But if one has sinned a sin in the death, you can pray until the cows come home. But God says, I've already made up my mind because there is a sin unto death. And may I say something to those of you that are saved? First John was written to save people. So if you're sitting here lackadaisically thinking that your rebellion is no big deal, I ask you, would you die before your time? Hmm? Would you dare commit the sin unto death? Going back to our story of Absalom. Absalom rebelled against his father. David crossed Kidron's brook. Same brook that Jesus crossed on the night before he died upon the cross. Imagine the prophetic heartbreak that both were experiencing on that night. David leaving the kingdom weeping. Jesus coming to the Gethsemane weeping, crossing Kidron's brook. But in 2 Samuel 18, it says this, verse number 9. It's the battle of Mount Ephraim. David's given a commandment to his lieutenants. Win, but don't kill Absalom. Absalom is his boy. Don't kill him. Verse 9 says, And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. Y'all remember that sermon, those of you that knew Brother Roloff or knew of Brother Roloff? And the mule walked on. Preached the whole sermon on that subject, right? And the mule walked on. Verse number 14, then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. Verse 17, and they took Absalom and cast him into the great pit in the wood. There's Absalom hanging by his long hair in the oak. No coincidence 
that God allowed that mule he was riding upon to come up underneath that low-hanging branch. No coincidence that it lodged in that V place and snapped his head fast so that he could not move. Joab, in disobedience to his king, comes in with three long darts, stares Absalom in the eye. Boom! Thud. Sinks into his heart. And Absalom's mind is perhaps going back. Going back to the time that he took it out of God's hands and he decided to have his brother killed. Remembering now that he lied and he deceived and he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Should have never done it. Should have never done it. And his mind goes back when he got the concubines on top of the roof and he had his way with them. Oh God. Oh God. It is appointed a man wants to die. Absalom missed his appointment. He died before his time. He sinned unto death. God says, I'm through dealing with you now, Absalom. It's over. And we hear those cries echo down the hallways of time. Oh, Absalom, my son! My son, Absalom! Would God I had died for thee! Why'd you do it, Absalom? My wife and I were in our first year of marriage. We were driving from Indiana in our 1974, new at that time, Chevy Impala, 400 cubic inch, air brakes, or rather uh, air shocks in the back, pulling a 23-foot travel trailer as we were going from revival meeting to revival meeting. I just preached a revival in Nebraska, and boy, God blessed, and we were excited. I think we saw 400 saved in three weeks, and it was just a great time in the Lord. And now we're coming down toward my home, where I used to live before I moved to Indiana, which was Shreveport, Louisiana, or as the northerners say, Louisiana. And I said, hey, Barbara, by now I ought to be able to pick up a station, because I had two meetings in the Shreveport area. So I turned on the radio, and I'm going to call his name John Doe. That was not his name. So I turned it on to the Christian radio station that was in the town where I gave everything to Jesus. And the announcer broke in and said, Last night, the Reverend John Doe killed in a car wreck. And I'm listening to this. And I said, Barbara. She said, What is it, Johnny? I said, That was our second meeting. I know that guy. He's a 41-year-old pastor. I couldn't believe it. So we pulled in to 6017 Canal Boulevard, Shreveport, Louisiana. My wife and I got out of the car, and Daddy was in there. My dad's a preacher. He's with the Lord now. Uncle Red was there. He's a preacher. He's with the Lord now. But they were both in the living room area of the suit and tie. I said, Daddy, Uncle Red. I just heard in the book, yep, John's dead. Come on, son, we're going to the funeral home to view the body. Let's go. Get your suit on. Put the suit on, and I said, Barbara, I'll be right back. And we went and viewed the body. Uncle Red and Daddy never said hardly anything on the way there or on the way back. When we got back to the house, Daddy said, uh, sit down, boy. 
I want you to hear this. So I'm a 23, 24-year-old preacher boy at the time, and I just sat down. And the, they had this cassette recorder all set up. They had these cassette tapes they used to use in the old days. And he said, listen to this. This is John six months ago. And they press pray, press play. Charismatic personality. He was greeting everyone. Such a blessing to be here at Missionary Baptist Tabernacle tonight. How God has blessed already in this conference. And I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here in the will of God. Six months ago, J. Harold Smith was here. And he preached God's three deadlines. And on that night, I was thinking about leaving the ministry. He said, listen to me, brothers and sisters, hear me well. God spoke to my heart that night. He said, John, you try leaving the ministry, I'm telling you, I will kill you. Not a doubt in my mind, folks, if I tried to leave the ministry, God would have killed me. It's now six months later. I go visit a widow, this widow. Good to see you, Brother Pope. She said, John told me on the night that he died, I'm leaving you and I'm leaving the ministry. The church didn't have a clue. At midnight, her phone rang. Before she answered it, she said, Lord, take care of Paul. She said, I knew in my heart God was going to take my husband's life. But he had a deacon with him, didn't even have a clue what my husband was about to do. So she said, before I answer the phone, I said, Lord, take care of Paul. Lifted up the phone. Sure enough, your husband's dead. They were coming around the bend. They were at a church fellowship thing. Nobody knew. Nobody knew the secret life that he was living. Big truck came around the corner of that bin, that hairpin, plowed right into him. The deacon was in an 18-inch cavity. The entire car was collapsed, except for 18 inches. That's where the deacon was. They had to get the jaws of life to get the preacher out. I looked at the 41-year-old face of a man of God that believed he could rebel and get away with it. There is a sin unto death! Now my wife is sitting here and she will tell you she's rarely heard what I'm about to tell you. I preached this story of Absalom when I was 18. Hadn't preached it since. But there was a couple years of my life as a preacher's son that I was rebelling against the Lord. I was rocking and a rolling. A lot of things that I didn't do because I was reared up that way and I was saved at an early age. I remember going to the Who concert Jimi Hendrix's experience, saw Hendrix in person, never saw, never witnessed a greater manifestation of Satan than in the Jimi Hendrix concert. So when you tell me that you can listen to the wrong kind of music and hang around that wrong crowd and there's nothing to it, I'm telling you, you're a liar. You don't have to lift up the sewer lid to see if it stinks. My mom and dad were very protective over me, thank God. But every chance I got, I got my guitar and I would jam and we would rock and roll. 
every chance I could get. I'm a senior in high school. There's a lady in our church named Peggy Pugh. Very successful business lady. Widow lady. Love my mother. Always ride me, but you need to get right where I stay right where I you know. I was working at a place, a short order restaurant cook at, at a place called Royal Castle. I flip hamburgers, cook eggs and everything like this. Got a little extra income. But remember the night, the night before what happened the next day, there was a guy that came with some of his friends said, hey, Pope, when you get off? I said, nine o'clock. He said, great, we'll be out here acting real friendly. But I remember thinking, he's never been friendly to me. I don't think there's anything he's going to be doing that I want to do. Eh, I started to go out there. I said, nah. So I just went out the back door, got in my car and drove away. Well, three days earlier, Peggy Pugh had nearly been killed in a car wreck. And now for three and a half days, she was unconscious. Three and a half days, she could not even open her eyes. She was just barely breathing. Strong in a coma. They began to wonder if she would ever come out of it. Three and a half days out of it. The next day after these guys were looking for me, the next morning... My father, before I went to school, said, Johnny, you know, Peggy is in the hospital. I said, yeah, Dad, I'm so sorry. And she may not live. They didn't even think she was going to come conscious. But Johnny, it's the strangest thing. Because at this time, if you were a teenager, you could not go into the hospital room. I would go visiting with my father when he would go to the hospital when I was younger and have to wait downstairs. He said, Johnny, Peggy woke up. And as soon as she woke up, she said, get Johnny Pope here as soon as possible. Get him here as soon as possible. That was early this morning, Johnny. So you get out of school. We're picking you up. We're going to Tampa General, Tampa, Florida, in the, in the hospital. And you're going to go see Peggy Pugh. I said, what? He said, just do what I tell you. She may not live, son. So her dying wish is that she could talk to you. Not her pastor, my dad. Not my mom, her best friend. Wants to talk to me. So I go in there. I've never been in a place like this before. I'm 17 years old. I'm looking at her. She's got tubes in her nose. She's got all kind of stuff on her arms and her legs. She's bruised. She's swollen. And I called her Aunt Peggy. I said, Aunt Peggy. And out of her swollen eyes, she looked, Johnny. Oh, Johnny. She started crying. She grabbed my hand. And her hand was just quivering. And she went into detail. She said, Johnny, I want to tell you something. There are six boys that I saw that are coming after you. And she began to give me more detail, and she said, and then you're in the woods, and Johnny, they're pulling, the, they're pulling a sheet over your head. Johnny, you need to go with your dad. If he's leaving town, you need to leave town. 
for a few days. I know just as well as I'm here, Johnny, if you don't, you're going to be killed. It's the weirdest thing because I had, play, I had left my car parked at Royal Castle and when I, Daddy, drove, Daddy, Mom brought me back from the hospital, they dropped me off to get my car and I looked at the counter and there was the guy that was looking at for me the day before with five of his friends, there were six guys that were there waiting for me. I remember getting in the car. I remember it didn't have much to say except I said, Dad, and I told Mom and Dad about what Peggy had seen. Long story short, I've got to tell you this. Sure enough, there was a guy, well, I won't tell you his name, but he came the next night where I was working. He said, you know, and he named the guys. They were looking for you. I said, why? And he said, they wanted to work you over. And gave me a reason why. Which was a farce. I mean, it was the craziest thing because later on, I found that same guy. He said, hey, I just want you to know, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean anything by it. Well, he never did lay a hand on me. What I want to share with you is this, is that there is a sin unto death. Wilt thou die before thy time? Brother, God got my attention that night. God got my attention that night. Said, well, you can choose. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And God says in Hebrews 12, would you not much more better obey the Father of spirits and live? The opposite of living is dying. God says, I will chasten you and chasten you and chasten you. If you don't hear me, I can take you to heaven because I can't trust you to live for me down here on earth. Now, I know that's heavy. But when you look at the life of Absalom and his early death, you've got to know that God means business. And he does not have a love for the rebel heart against God. He has a love for the rebel but he despises the rebel heart. Is that where some of y'all are tonight? Are some of you about to cross a deadline? Oh, Brother Pope, God wouldn't do that, really? There's more evidence out there than you want to talk about, than I want to talk about. But I know one thing. In my life, had I not gotten right with the Lord when I was 17 years of age, I would not only not be standing before you tonight, but I would not be alive. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many would say this? Johnny Pope, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, if I were to die now, I'm as sure of heaven as if I were there now. I know I'm saved. Would you raise that hand? You can put your hands down. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Is the one that would say, Johnny Pope, I don't know for sure I'm saved. But I'd like to know for sure. I don't know if I die now, I go to heaven. But I sure don't want to go to hell. Pray for me, Brother Pope. Would you lift the hand? Is there one? Is there one? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one moving, no one talking. All right. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to ask you this question. I'm not going to come down there. I'm not going to drag anybody to the front. But I would love to pray for you. Do you have a rebel heart? Tonight. God's ready and willing to forgive you. 
He's ready, at ready and willing to get you back on the right track. He's ready and he's willing to put you in the center of his will and to bless you. I think about my life tonight. It's not cursed. It's blessed. I honored my father and my mother. I didn't rebel against the authority that was over me. I didn't get out of church. <clears throat> or I didn't go to the wrong worldly church. Uh-uh, no. I stayed in that Bible-believing, old-fashioned church these boys were talking about tonight. And I'm telling you, my life is blessed. And I want you to be blessed. I wonder how many would say, Brother Pope, if God wasn't speaking to anybody but me, but God was speaking to me, I've got a rebel heart and I'm ready for it to change tonight. I'm ready to come to the Lord and say, I'm sorry. Would you lift that hand? How many? All right, I'm seeing hands in every section. Hands in every section. Who else? Don't rebel. Just lift it up high. I'm not going to come down there. I'm not going to bear it. Lift it up very high. Come on now. I got a rebel heart. I'll be honest with you. I got a problem here, and I'm ready to get it right. All right, you can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, you've seen the hands, but more especially you've seen the heart. <clears throat> and I pray we will have some decisions made for the glory of God on this night. Oh, God. Let these people end up <coughs> with a blessing, not a cursing. Give them the forgiveness that you promised. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.